You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. I'm with Angie and... Corbin! Yes, we did it right this time. (laughs) I did it. So we are back, part two. The part one, we were having such a great time talking about the 16 animals that we decided to cover. uh, 16 mammals in this March Madness tournament that I think we're going to turn into every year. We've already started talking about next year doing reptiles, Corbin. So I think that would be a fun one. Just to recap everybody where we're at... If you haven't listened to part one, you probably want to go back. So many amazing creatures arguing which one's more cool, which one has a more interesting conservation story. And it was a really tough fight. It was a really tough fight. But we're to our final eight. So we have lion versus hippo. Mm. Then we have gray wolf versus African elephant. Orca versus orangutan, not tang. leopard seal versus polar bear and uh, it's such a tough it's getting tough it's getting really tough we love all these creatures but angie how how'd you feel losing zebra real quick i'm sorry my heart has been shattered but i did tell corbin i think that him and i can still be friends after the incidents uh during the sweet 16 and that's okay. I mean, the zebras have always been the underdogs, and I, that's one of the reasons why I like them. And I will still always love them. They'll always be my number ones. But I am ready for this next round. I'm going to bring it. I still have some ungulates, or one ungulate, I guess, to start off with. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I, um, I cried myself to sleep, and now I am back in full. I effect. felt so bad, and Chris thought I was going to give it to you. He was like, "Oh, I know the zebra is going to win this and that." And I'm like, "No way! That oh my gosh, awesome. leopard seal!" So I am so sorry, Angie. But I mean, come on, Corbin, leopard you are seal, here as on. our expert, our animal expert, our judge, and <laughs> I. Your word is final, my friend. It's it's it, okay, that Angie. is how it goes. Hear me out right now. If you have a choice to see a leopard seal right now in the wild or a zebra, what do you pick? A thousand times a zebra. No, no way. No, no way. Yes. But you've no. seen them. No way. I you know, but I them. can't stop looking at them. They're in my dreams. <laughs> I would look at them all day long. What? I you know. Were, I'm a. I am an animal nerd. I'm a zebra nerd. I'm a hoofstock nerd. You've been to nerd. Africa. You've seen them multiple times. You still I wouldn't have. go. And you still yeah, would I, pick a zebra over a leopard. I would seal always in pick a zebra. I would just okay. sit there all day and just watch them. I know, but wow. so. 
But that's I'm with you. I'm you with know. you, Corbin. Leopard seal, hands down. I, well, I want to go back to the. So. I'm going to go back and look for him again. <laughs> and I also think that to see a leopard seal. I mean, Chris was lucky because uh, he or she was hauled out. Mm. But I guess I don't. I'm, I I wouldn't want to be in the water with them like some of the National Geographic photographers. Yeah. Uh, to get that up close and per air in really cold water. So that's just not for me. I'm a Florida girl now. And yeah, so no, I, I stick with zebras. Right, right, nice right. and hot. Uh, my safari cart with shade and my bottle of water. So yeah, nice. zebras. Nice. But, right. and hippos. So I think oh, I, I would, pick, I, right, I would pick a hippo over a leopard seal to see in the wild. And I have seen them a f- only once, no, twice, twice in the wild. I've seen them in, um, on the Zambezi and then also in... Uh, Kruger? Uh, yes, Kruger. Thank you. You know, you know my African yeah. travel history better than, than <laughs> this, course. my mom brain. <laughs> yes. So is that, your, is that your fact one for hippo? Because we're going lion versus hippo. Oh. Uh, lion versus hippo. Now. <laughs> Just oh, wow. Well, I mean, kidding, last time I opened with my husband doing a, a hippo call. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so an old we, man I guess we can, we can recap some of the things that John said. So yes. do you so, remember? Yeah. Uh, okay, yes. My, the first points for hippos are they are awesome no that wasn't the first point i believe he talked about their uh hearing and the fact Mm -hmm. that hippos are the only mammal that can hear both above and underwater simultaneously Mm -hmm. uh which is pretty rad so that is makes them very 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 unique and i know he talked about their blood sweat which is basically like this slimy substance that covers over their entire body and acts as an antimicrobe and also a moisturizer to make sure they don't dry out when they are out grazing in grass and and then also a sunscreen, sunscreen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so yeah. those were two of the facts i forget the third one the so, or the, the, the oh noise, just the, oh the vocal the, something like that like an old man laughing he does it better um but yes i would like to add in a few extra things number one when we talk about the king of the jungle interestingly enough hippos are the most deadly animal in africa Hmm. that is right it's not the cape buffalo it's not the lion it is actually the hippo Hippos are known to drown people. They're very territorial. And so when people are by the water sides or in canoes, sometimes they'll flip the canoes and they are extremely, extremely territorial and aggressive. As uh, Chris, interestingly enough, just sent me a video today of hippos (laughs) (laughs) attacking a lion. Somehow, I don't know how it happened, but a lion was like on a rock in the middle of a river. And these hippos are just giving him I mean, they're just razzing him real mm. good. Uh, and so, yeah, so pretty, pretty, okay. pretty deadly, pretty tough. Uh, th- th- why would you wa- vote for them? I mean, I, I know I'm up against a, a big mountain here because Corbin already admitted hippos are his favorite animal. Favorite. And we just got to play with the little baby pygmy uh, one. Oh, pygmy Under, hippos. Are, yeah. Like close, yeah. Uh, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, but like the king of the jungle, the, the, the lion is the king of the jungle. That's what I talked about. I played the violin and talked about their conservation story. I mean, just decimated oh. in the wild. 23,000 left mm-hmm. and they're roaring. So 
my next fact is can a hippo run very fast that lion was getting chased by hippos but it was out swimming them right we didn't see if the hippos got them they can but, run faster than you think though for sure oh they're so fast they're so fast up to 50 miles per hour and they can leap 36 feet so when you were telling that story last episode about being that close if they wanted to they could have had a little corbin snack but they didn't because they're not nasty hippos oh man yeah, being so close to lions. They stunk, though. Yes, you hippos can that. only run about 30 kilometers per hour. So a lion can definitely outrun them. But I think that they can I'm definitely definitely they can outrun me, right? Mm-hmm. So a, a really fast human athlete runs about 24 kilometers per hour. So And a normal person like myself is probably about 10. So okay. there's your yeah. fact number two. My fact number two. No, that's not my fact number two. <laughs> I was just, I was being supportive okay, of you, you saying that lions are deep faster. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. And they can leap pretty far. 36 yes. feet. That's insane. Yes. But I do want to, I do want to kind of piggyback off or hippo back off of your fact too about conservation because yes, lions are definitely, definitely in need of mm-hmm. our attention and our help. And the large hippos are too as well. I think they're, I believe they're considered vulnerable, but I want to make a case here for the pygmy hippo as they are endangered with only about 2000 left. Wow. So the pygmy hippos, which are a little bit different area, West central Africa, more in the forested areas, really, really in need of help where they live a lot of times is under conflict. And so conservation efforts there can be difficult to say the least. And so only about 2000 in the wild and, and pygmy hippos are just darling. So that's, yeah, like a you just, yeah. I, as I mentioned last episode, we just got to interact with a baby pygmy hippo named bubbles who was at the time. Oh, like only 30 of course pounds. it's named bubbles. How cute. <laughs> Cutest thing I've ever seen. And it was, it, it, again, if you're in Arizona, wildlife world zoo is amazing just outside of Phoenix, but it's huge for conservation to have one born the first hippo born in Arizona. And we don't know a lot about pygmy hippos. So what is known about them is studied from zoos. And so it's it, it's interesting how much we have found out because they're so reclusive in the wild. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and no, hard to, it was, hard to yeah. study and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I can't I can't argue with it. But it, it, this is the big hippo that we're arguing. So I it, it, what I can't say is <laughs> Chris is like stay on track, folks. Yeah. <laughs> is I'm fighting I'm fighting for the lions. Asiatic lions, six hundred left in the world. So there you go. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. Here's something that really caught my attention when we covered lions episode 52 so long ago you know it's a tough life being a lion it's not easy uh corbin talked about it and and you talked about it too angie about looking at them one of the things that got me was was it like less than 10 percent of the males or two something it was like less than five percent of the males make it past two years of age Hmm. because so many of them starve to death uh, so one in, oh, actually it's one in eight males survive after getting kicked out of the pride. Oh. So it is a brutal, tough life for these big cats hunting success, less than 18% in the Serengeti. Uh, mm. You know, they just have, it's just so tough. They have a lot going against them right now. So 
as much as I love hippos, they're they're relatively safe in those rivers, chasing off people. You know, they you know doing what they do. Uh, but the, but these lions, it's just oh, like I said, I want to come back as a leopard seal, not as a male lion. No way, no way. Tough <laughs> no, life, tough life. Rough, yeah, violent, yeah. very violent yes. lives. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. violent. Well, my last point about, or is, do I get another one about hippos? Yeah, last I can't remember point. where we started. Okay, yeah, last point uh, <laughs> is I do have to talk about their tusks, uh, mm. which are just incredible. The hip, hippos have tusk-like incisors, which are canines that actually just grow continuously. And the lower incisors are longer than the upper incisors and basically project forward, giving them that kind of iconic hippo look. And if you've ever been up close and personal to a hippo's mouth, when they open them up, I mean, those, those canines are pretty devastating. And of course they are herbivores. And so they don't necessarily use them for chewing food. It's more for defending territory, fighting among the males, things like that, or if they do have to go after a lion here or there. So they're really impressive, but they are really, how do I say this? They don't use them. And if you work with them behind the scenes, which I've, I, I didn't work with them uh, as a zookeeper, but my husband did. And I've got to go meet some of the hippos he worked with back in the day. And of course you're in protected contact, but if you haven't seen them open up their mouth and seen these canines, I mean, mm. it is, is just incredible. And then my husband, I should let him tell him the story, but I think he's actually in a zoom meeting right now. He told me that one of the favorite itchy spots on a hippo is scratches along the gum line of their mouth. Mm. They will do any like target training or whatever you need them to do with clicker, basically clicker training and the reward. Yes. They like watermelons and other treats like that, but their favorite thing is they'll just hold their mouth open and you get it in the keeper used to, and I'm sure they probably don't allow this anymore as mm. rules have gotten more strict, but John would mm -hmm. just get up in there and scratch their gums all around those mm. canines and they just loved it. And he says now that he knows those probably <laughs> now that he's older and wiser in, uh, and teaching other zookeepers how to be zookeepers, he does not recommend that. But it, mm -hmm. as, yeah, I, a, as an experience, it experience, it was life-changing. Well, hundred percent. I've done that at the Toledo, uh, at the Toledo zoo. One of our keeper friends was like, do you want to come on back and meet Herbie? And we were like, <laughs> sure. And she calls over and she goes, Herbie. And he waddles over, <laughs> opens his mouth. And she's like, yes. here, here, touch this on the side of his mouth. And I was like, really? She's like, sure. And I touch it. And it was, it's like this, the most amazing feeling. It was like this gelatinous material. It was, it's like so squishy. It was one of my favorite animal encounters. And I was so excited. Like one of the best days of my life being able yeah, to they, feel Herbie's mouth. They exactly. They have really <laughs> okay, big personalities. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly up there don't... scratching, scratching, don't do that. Oh, don't try God. this at home kids. No. But scratching. Uh, yeah. Scratching a hippo mouth is probably right up there for me as uh, a rhino belly. That's oh, one of my favorites too. When they literally just like lay down and present their bellies. Yeah, and of course you're in protected contact, but you reach in there and you just get in there really good. Like it's one of your, you know, your oh. puppies at home. 
I, yeah, it is yeah. so cool. It's like squishy. Like how can you, it's like one of those squishy toys, like the gum, yeah. like the July. It's, I just, <laughs> it was amazing. I, all right, I, judge. I, yeah. All right, judge, judge. Oh, Oh, I think I was say I think I got the judge in my corner pocket. Yeah, so. I, yeah. And you know, what's I've, crazy, I've, I've, really quick, I don't even think they would allow some of that stuff now. I mean, that was a few no, years ago we did exactly. that. I don't no, know they, they probably would. wouldn't. No, I no. Have we, fed lived, we live in the heyday. Mm-hmm. Literally heyday. I yeah, have fed hippos and yeah. But okay. did you touch it, the side of their mouth? No, is, because yeah, I probably would have got my arm ripped off because hippos don't like people. No, it's it was in protected contact, but you know, oh. feeding them some grain and and then administering some hormones to the female, so oh. she wouldn't cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back yeah. in the day, so uh, how do, you're talking about the king of the beasts. This is the most iconic animal with the big mane. I mean, the males, mm. these poor males that actually do make it, they get these you know, really big manes. It's just, it is Don't look so it on my I- tiny violin. No, I mean, they are so iconic. When you think of Africa and the big five is hippo in there. They're awesome. I love hippos. They're great. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you love them. Both of you love them so much, but mm. when you think of Africa, Corbin, <laughs> I already know the yeah. answer. Dang it. Deep what did you want to see breath. most? <laughs> Up close and personal. It is true. People, and I asked one of my guys this because we were just in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do people want to come to Africa to see? And it's a no brainer. It's a lion. I mean, it is is a lion. But what do they do? They're literally just always laying underneath the bush. Well, mine is is going out like at night, which is so cool when they're I did that for the first time at Kruger. And it was, that was cool. That was Lions are so cool. I mean, and honestly. I know, it's tough. It's tough. When I go back, like, I love Africa. So when we go back, we look, I mean, we're so excited to see the lions. But I'm giving it to Angie for the hippo. It's my favorite animal. <laughs> All right. And even though lions like are taking down hippos sometimes, large prides will, which is mm-hmm. you sure, know, especially the crazy. young ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. But hippos I, are that, so that video, cool. That video I sent you both of the lion getting chased off. I think it was a premonition. I knew yeah. I was going to lose. That. I would. I would rather be right. confronted. I'd rather run into a male lion than a hippo. A hundred percent in the bush. Yeah, a hundred percent. Hippos are pretty nasty. All right. Yeah. All right. Goes to hippos okay. to Angie. Okay. Next pairing. This is this is this is mm. brutal. This was almost a, a final pairing. I think. African elephant versus mm. the gray wolf. Oh boy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's this rough. is not this is not an easy one. So so just to start off cuz I've got two stories that I'm going to tell. So I'm going to make this this quick. Okay. Uh, elephants two things about them. They, they have the longest gestation of any animal. Mm. Any mammal. So you would think this was so surprising to me that getting into this podcast and being a reproductive physiologist, I would think, okay, yeah, elephants are large. You have these large land mammals, but I would have thought a, a, a blue whale, largest animal ever to live would have the longest gestation length, but it doesn't 22 months. That little elephant baby wow. is gestating a mom for almost two years. Wow. So one I mean, of she can almost win on just that for me. There you go. <laughs> Wow. I've so, just did three children, and yeah, that's a two years. that's a heroic feat. The wow. next closest is a sperm whale, about fourteen to fifteen months. Black rhino, about fifteen months. The shortest is the possum, op- Virginia opossum, twelve days. Oh, 
Yeah. 12 days. <laughs> 12 wow. days. So uh, this, w- and, and it ties into conservation because the elephants have a really long generational inter- interval. It takes a lot of effort to gestate one of these babies and then get it to adulthood before they can start making babies themselves. So when we think of conservation, one of the things Angie and I always look at is this generation interval. And again, for the elephant who's critically endangered and endangered, you know, it's a big deal. So there you go. 22 months. Wow. Yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's a hard one to come off of. And it is a pretty incredible fact. I mean, that's, uh, elephants, their, their reproduction, the reproductive physiology is, is, is really cool. I just uh, have one, just one question. Is, does it take him several years too, to have another baby, right? Like six, yes. is it six to seven years? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is, is yep. it? Okay. Long. Sorry yep. to interrupt Angie. I no, just, no, 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 no. You're the judge. Calves. Yeah. They yeah. put a lot, they definitely their, their maternal, um, obviously gestating for almost two years, but then the energy they put into raising their calf is obviously very, well, the the herd kind of does it all together, but the maternal uh, energy is really incredible as well because yeah, they don't just bounce back and have another calf. They're Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely putting a lot of energy to the calf they have on the ground. So yes, super moms, that's for sure. But I'm going to switch gears a little bit uh, with wolves and talk about wolf ecotourism because I know Corbin can relate to, and we did a podcast on it, the wolf-human conflict that is ongoing, not only in North America, but other places uh, where wolves live. And historically, they've been persecuted, and they get a bad rap for taking down livestock and things like this, which when you really look at the studies, uh, that's not their main prey that they go after. And I feel like there's a lot of other workarounds besides calling them. But there is this conflict and I want to talk a little bit about the wolf or ecotourism and the benefit of it. And when it's not about the money, it's about the money and that wolves, for example, being reintroduced back into Yellowstone many, many years ago, besides changing the landscape of the ecosystem, which I know I talked about in the, in the previous, previous time about the wolves is yeah, they obviously change the landscape of the ecosystem, but they also change the financial outcome and there's estimates out there that in one year as much as five million dollars is just for the wolves being at yellowstone has boosted the local economy around yellowstone park and the surrounding area promoting jobs and then of course um, helping the park maintain itself and all the other animals that are in it and so it's it's really and that's just one example of, of a big national park here in the U.S. at Yellowstone. So I think when it's done well and there's a lot of support for wolves in these national parks or certain areas, that they can really help boost local tourism and, of course, the, the dollars and the money that's gen- and, and jobs that are generated from that. That's what so, makes me so angry with some of the states like mm-hmm. Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. Mm-hmm when they're treated like vermin, because when I was in Yellowstone last year, just, I mean, and they, the wolf watchers told me about the winter hunt and the hunters will literally wait just right across the border from Yellowstone and call them in and they'll use carcasses and then shoot them. And, um, I don't think that's ethical. 
and mm-hmm. it just it makes me so mad. Yeah. I just I, I just I can't I that just gets me so mad. And I've yeah. done social media posts about it, but I'm so passionate about wolves, and it just it infuriates me because a wolf is worth so much more alive than it is dead. And it just, I mean, so millions of people go to Yellowstone and they want to see wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, just for the wolves. I mean, and, and, I gave the estimate of $5 million per year just in local economy. Okay, some, okay, some, okay. Some I would, other estimates are up to $35 million Yeah, yeah, annually. yeah, like so. 30, $35 million. And I understand they have to be – you do have to control them. There is some type of population management, but we're still trying to figure that out. And I'm by no means a wolf biologist, but when you kill one, you kill multiple. It's a yeah. trickle-down effect. And so I could go right, on there, forever. I, but. Did, did she, you're the lawyer. You're getting the judge to argue for you. I just <laughs> – Hi, Chris, Christopher, no, don't no, hate no, the no. player, hate the game. Okay, come on, buddy. All right, I no, I, I, I agree with everything you say, Corbin. It it, it is a travesty, and it, it it breaks my heart. And you know, uh, we like telling well, the story and when you because- look at the data of like. <sighs> Like the farm animals that they All right, are maybe okay. yeah, are, it's not. very little. Oh, it's it's point zero zero two percent. And I I did this analogy and I got I had to stop reading comments because it was to the point of like almost death threats on my end because I did a I did mm-hmm. a thing about wolves and people are so passionate. But I, yep. I literally did it. I did this analogy. It's like going to Disneyland seeing Mickey Mouse and then someone like crossing like an imaginary boundary and like shooting Mickey Mouse. I mean, truly it like, it's if you awful. think about it, it's yeah. Okay. It's truly, it's truly awful. Yes. I mean, you know, sorry I, about my tangent. No, no, no. And I always look at my dogs and I'm like, you know, you're just domestic wolves. Cause they are, you know, there's so oh, wait, that was wolf. my next point. Oh, okay. <laughs> done. Okay. So <laughs> done. I, I mean, I, I love wolves. I mean, they do. And that's why we, we bring them back, but you're facing the African elephant that generates 8.4 billion dollars just in south africa alone wow employs five thousand jobs i mean ecotourism Ooh. african elephants you can't argue with especially i don't think somebody in yellowstone or in wyoming that little you know boutique doesn't you know anyways i'm not gonna argue who's more important but africa needs money right my next point was burn wow okay (laughs) no i love wolves i'm sorry i just go support wolves support ecotourism wherever you're at but yeah uh, there you go yeah i honestly it's it's this is so hard to argue against wolves because they just i love them too but african elephants ecosystem engineers these animals mammals are so critical and the way we know this and i know that yellowstone study we talk about it all the time because it's a classic but I told this story, and, and, and I followed it for years. Dr. Alan Savory uh, in Zimbabwe back in the day blamed elephants for destroying the African grasslands. And so he told the government, you need to cull your elephants because they're, the desertification in that part of Africa was, was getting really bad. And he blamed it on the elephants. So they went and slaughtered 40,000 elephants. Oh, my God. And... What happened was it had the reverse effect. Desertification just intensified because the elephants are actually critical as ecosystem engineers in reducing desertification, in regenerating the grasslands across Africa. So we we know this in in the, the North America with the bison. The prairies are suffering the prairie grasses because there's not the bison trampling, dropping dung, you know, spreading manure and all these things that they do. So that's regressing. 
and they're seeing this in Africa. So at, elephants are just they—they they are the the kings in Africa as far as as shaping the environment for so many species. I mean, talking about all the way up and down the the food web. So, I mean, they carry seeds 60 to 100 kilometers away and then drop it in dung of acacia trees. And so as the African elephants disappear, so do the grasslands in Africa like this. The the great deserts are just growing and growing and growing every year. I I think I found our next very controversial roundtable podcast that we need to do. Because when I was in Africa, there are two sides to the story. I met a person very who had, and I'm not going to name names, but who was a biologist there and who was telling me that there needs to be something done with the elephants. Their populations are out of control and they're ruining the environment and they need to be cold. And this was coming from a biology standpoint. And then I also ran into people who were like, no, the elephants, they're doing what they do. And they're, they're, they're numbers. They will, you know, they'll level each other out. That's controversial. And that's interesting. and it's it the what the reason is is because like in South Africa everywhere's a game park and they put up fences and said you yeah. must stay here, mm. and so the they are overpopulated or overrepresented in those game parks in certain areas. In yeah, certain but areas. across Africa, across Africa as a whole, no, they're not. And like you know the the forest elephants are mm. critically endangered almost on their way out because of poaching uh, in that part of the world. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, we can maybe do a, talk, a podcast on that because that is should. human. Yeah, human intervention, putting up big fences, saying you stay here. Like you go to Kruger, Angie saw tons and tons of elephants. Uh, so because, many did. Yeah, so because many. they're, so they're many. overpopulated. So they, many. I mean, but so they, many. But they can't so migrate many. out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But they can't migrate out, right? So in that tent sense, yeah, of course. What do you do when you put a bunch of animals in a, in a small pen with grass? Like horses or zebra or whatever, they're yeah. going to trample well, it all. And I do right. want to say it's not like a small pen. It's no, it's not. The greater is huge. All right, all right. it's crazy. It's all crazy right. big. All right, all but, right. Uh, but yes, but talking, time. keeping, keeping along the lines of numbers uh, mm-hmm. and conservation. I mean, the gray wolf has just a really. Um, you know, a really important conservation story as well. Historically, they, I mean, covered so much land and they probably are one of the, you know, their land reduction due to conflict with humans and hunting and urbanization and stuff like that is probably one of the most dramatic we've seen as far as how small their populations have become and how fragmented. In fact, the only reason we got the, the wolves back at Yellowstone is because because we took them from populations up north in Canada. And so mo- many populations of gray wolves are threatened or and endangered throughout the world. And in the United States alone, wolves are, of course, are listed, listed as endangered. So, I mean, their numbers are very, very much so in decline and dwindling and in need of our, a lot of attention, especially with like with these fragmented populations or only living in a national park and things like this. Or as Corbin was saying, and then if they get outside the national park where they're not protected, yeah, things it's go ridiculous. south really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so, so I, ridiculous. Their conservation is and in, in, in similar to the to the elephants, African elephants, so that yeah, they, they do get more uh, attention than probably say, you know, 
the platypus or some of the other species, uh, or the grevy zebra that nobody cares about, including all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I do, I, I do want to say something about the wolves because yeah. I talked to a yeah. wolf, a wolf gal who's been photographing wolves there for over thirty years, and I asked her about the hunting because I just I want to know. You're a wolf lover. What are your? And she was in the middle. And you know why? She said before they brought those wolves here in 1995, they went around to the community to the community and they all signed a document that said we will be okay with like wolf hunting, like for controlled hunts. And they all agreed to that. And so there is there are two sides to this story. And it is very fascinating. It is very fascinating. When you go back and forth, how when wolves are on, depending on state by state, they'll be on the endangered list. And then, and then one group will sue the other group and then they're taken off. And then that group will sue the other group. And, and I, I think we talked about it, but so many resources are going back and forth. Should we, shouldn't we call them? Should we hunt them? Should we not hunt them? And, and I'm just like, to me, that just is like so much money. Why can't we figure out like, how to live with them or yeah, how to I, pay farmers for right, right, lost right. livestock. And I just, so. and I just want to say like, if they do have to hunt them, whatever, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not for it, I guess, uh, I guess. I hope they're, I, I guess, but, I, yeah, I guess I hope their numbers could get to the point where they are big enough where they would need to call them yeah. potentially. No, I just, but don't we're not think there yet. Ethical. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think it's ethical to have wolves that are used to tourists who go over an imaginary boundary that they're mm. not aware of and have hunters waiting. Right. And like them. you said, I, if I don't you take, think that's, yeah, ethical. no, no, yeah. definitely not. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and yeah, if you take one, you're definitely damaging yeah, it's disgusting. The, the whole it pack. Is, yeah. It is. The whole thing's disgusting. Yeah. It just, it, it does light a fire in me. And again, why we do this podcast all right. Well, I got to play the, the hard strings on this last point about African elephants because the, the, the wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, near and dear to my heart, too. So I'm there with you, but I still am arguing African elephants need to go on. They these are not only, the, you know, like I said, largest mammals and everything. But last time I talked about elephants mourning elephants. What about elephants mourning people? So I, I highly suggest a book. Uh, I know we've had authors on and and whatnot, but I've read this long time ago, Lawrence Anthony, the elephant whisperer, and he saved this herd of elephants from being cold and started the Thula Thula game reserve or where in South Africa, it's one of the one places I want to go. And it's a beautiful story about how he worked with this herd of elephants to get them to trust him, not to break fences, not to break out of these boundaries we just talked about. And, you know, he became the elephant whisperer. Wonderful story. Well, sadly, he passed away in 2012. And the elephants had not been around his house for over two years. The day he died, these elephants came from all over the park. How did they know this? They came all over, traveled over 12 hours to reach his house and they stayed there for two days and they were quiet and they just, they stood there and they, they didn't, they grazed and, and then they, they wandered off. And again, I guess it was like months and months, months later before they came anywhere near the house. Hmm. How did they know? I get chills down my back thinking about it. And it, it, there, you can Google this online and read up on the story. I remember hearing it and I'm like, Whoa. And he didn't even die on the reserve. He died somewhere else. And then we brought his body back. They knew somehow and they came from all over and spent two days. So there you go. This is why African elephants need to move on. There's more to them than meets the eye. 
Yeah. Oh, are, are we yeah. ready? Do I? I don't have yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I, mean... I think, okay, I think, and I've had the privilege of seeing both in the wild, and they are both incredible experiences. And if anyone listening, please make it a bucket list to see wolves and African elephants. This one, though, has to go to Chris. I mean, there's something so majestic about an elephant, and Africa wouldn't be the same without them. And I love wolves, but this one has to go to the elephant. It's tough. It's a hard. Yeah, that's a tough. tough. I I actually I think this one goes to Chris, not necessarily the elephant. I think <laughs> it goes to Chris and his his like the heartstrings and the argument uh, and the great mm-hmm. storytelling and yeah. yes. Right. So, yeah. but elephants are really cool to see them in the wild. I've not seen wolves in the wild, uh, but yeah. they. It's definitely on my bucket list, so we should. Uh, all right, yeah, all right. Should, so in the final that. four, hippo, elephant. Thank you, Corbin. Mm. I don't know. I got to pull some more big facts on them. I've been throwing big punches because I almost lost a platypus, so I had to pull yeah. some punches. All right, those are pretty cool. N- yeah, no, these are all amazing creatures. I mean, they're all. That's why we're talking about them. That's why you know we're we're, we're debating. Well, I know our first episode went long when we did the sixteen, but I was yeah. thinking about it. I mean, that's like awesome facts about 16 of some of the cool all Mm -hmm. all mammals are cool but all animals are cool but yeah really a lot a lot of fun facts in a short-ish period of time so yeah yeah. Yeah. i'm jane perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former beijing bureau chief for the new york times i've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places somalia indonesia pakistan but nowhere as important to the world as china I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Okay, here we go. Okay, what's Orca that? orangutan. Mm. I... Uh, oh, Ooh. the orangutan... Oh, hi. Uh, is it I go first? Uh, sure. No, I still struggle first? saying it. I still always say orangutan, and I'm always yeah, so I scared. I even <laughs> said it too. a few times in the oh, Orangutan, like orangutan. I don't you know. You're the judge. You can say it however you want. This is a judge. Yeah, we're not. Uh, I think I say it like that too. Like All rolling right. over right now. Right. In anger. I know. Yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so we're going to, I'll start off, and then Angie can have the final say. 
in this mm. one. And this, I talked about their conservation, the face of palm oil. These, uh, these are incredible, incredible animals. I guess the, where I'll start with is kind of the male orangutans. Like that's one thing when you go to a zoo or you see them, you're just like, wow, they just wow you. It's, it's one of those wow factors. Imagine seeing I could them in sit the there and watch them all day. I really they're, could. They're they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, they're they're really chill. They're zen, right? Yes, they are zen. Yeah. So the males uh, can stand almost fifty four inches tall, pretty tall. You know, one and a half meters close to it. They have a wingspan of almost seven feet. They can weigh up to one hundred ninety pounds. A wingspan. I didn't know they had yeah. wings. I'm learning stuff. Well, I'm learning you know, stuff new today. <laughs> He's trying to get some Holy facts crap, in there. A wingspan of six feet. Seven. Seven. Oh, seven. I'm sorry. Can, seven feet. They wow. can dunk on you. They can dunk Ooh. on you. These just when you when you see the old male orangutan, you just see wisdom. They have these flanges. These these big cheeks. I do so, love their jowls. Yeah, <laughs> really with throat sacks, and you just watch them, and you just look and go, "Wow, there's a lot of wisdom behind those eyes." So there you go. Yes, and I I will definitely give Chris the fact that uh, with orcas, I if I'd rather bump into an orangutan in the wild than an orca. So <laughs> I'll just throw that one out there right away. Uh, but orcas are incredible. Chris and I dedicated two episodes back to back to them many, many moons ago, uh, because they just are so phenomenal. And some of the highlights from earlier, uh, when orcas, who did orcas battle? I can't remember. The honey badger. Oh, that was a tough one. Yes. (laughs) So just to recap on that, I talked about how, uh, orcas, different orca clans can speak a different language and they have may have their own dialect how um, the female orcas are one of the only mammals to go through menopause and why that's so important for uh, their culture and then also talking about how these different pods and clans of orcas have their own culture that they pass on from parent to offspring, pretty much from, um, from the mom to her offspring. And then the grandma's also involved in, in teaching. And so that ties into my main fact that I want to really just highlight, uh, in case this is the last time we see orcas (laughs) in that they are incredibly intelligent, right? They're marine mammals, very, very, very intelligent. And, uh, they have, Basically, for a marine mammal, their their brain is the second biggest per body weight, except for a sperm whale. And I thought that was interesting. Sperm whale was number one. Mm. And one of the cultural things they pass on to their offspring, uh, it, depending on where they live, uh, is how they hunt. And so, of course, they're carnivorous and they hunt fish and seals and stuff like that. But they have been studied and it's been found that they have some really unique ways of uh, killing their prey animals. And so just to name a couple of them, uh, uh, let's see, for seals, uh, they have what's called the wave wash, where they'll basically try to wash, they'll make a wave to wash the seal off the floating piece of ice. Uh, they have a karate chop and that works on sharks, even great white sharks. And yes, great white sharks are scared of them. Uh, and, uh, 
they have the carousel, which works on fish. They the have karate the karate chop. Hold on, what do they do? Like, oh. I, I'm like, good question, Corbin. So for the karate chop, basically the orca will use its broad tail to push the shark uh, to the surface on a watery vortex, and then it turns and raises its tail really high in the air and crashes down on the shark's head. So, oh hence, my karate chop. And basically it'll, you know, that won't, well, it'll basically shock the shark and then, you know, then they can go from there. Uh, and the carousel that works on fish and that's typically small fish like the herring, which are like a bite-sized snack. But uh, what they'll do, these are for um, orcas off. And remind you, this is, these are different pods and families doing it different ways regionally, depending on where they live. And so for the carousel, uh, this is off the Norwegian coast. And what they do is all the orcas will work together. They use air bubbles and belly flashes to herd school fish into a tight ball near the surface of the water. And it basically becomes like a bait ball and looks like a carousel. And then they just feed right off of them and they're all whipped up in this ball. This is interesting. They have one called the pod pen that works on the narwhal. And then there's two more. They have the blowhole block, which works on larger whales, and the D-Day, a.k.a. storming the beach, which works on sea lions and elephant seals. And that one's really cool. I've seen videos of that. They're ba- they basically beach themselves um, on, on the beach to go after this large, large seals and sea lions. Can I just say, I love how Chris is giving Angie like, well, Tria, but she's like, that's fine. So two more facts. Like, <laughs> they would cut you to commercial on the Today Show. Oh, I would not, yes. It would say, I, would, I wouldn't make it for a hot second. No. I'd be, yeah. No way. No well, way. Two more facts, though. You have to hear them. Very Listen, good. Listen, you have to hear them. You have to hear okay. them. So no, I, 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 I just, I love it. Yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I, can I pick? Can I pick? No, that is well, that was one. That's the why I'm oh, like that was, I, that was one fact, Angie. Oh dear lord. It was like I, 50. I, I that was I just okay. talked about the male flanges. That's oh, it. I'm I want to talk about Okay, go ahead. But, but this is their hunting style, their unique hunting <laughs> yeah. styles, and they have Whoa. a lot of them. Wow. And they were all mentioned. So all right, it was part, it was like part 3 an and then fact. part 4. Oh yeah. god. Okay, okay. Uh, we'll speed it up a little bit. All right. So uh, <laughs> I'm ready to get tans. Uh, Corbin, do you ever like a treehouse? Would you like a treehouse? Like who I doesn't have love a one, tree? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, see, who doesn't love a treehouse? Well, orangutans build them. These are brilliant engineers. I mean, they use leaves for umbrellas. Like for gosh, gosh sakes. Mm. But scientists have studied their nest building. These nests are really well thought out. They, it's not just, they just don't trample a bunch of uh, branches down and put a bunch of leaves. Like they think about it. They're very skilled engineers. So I know orcas are incredibly intelligent. Who's smarter? Orangutans, orcas. uh, That's a debate for another day. Uh, You know, I don't know. They're both brilliant, but they actually like the thicker branches. They, they look for them. They break them in a certain spot, twist them. They use the thinner branches as, as the mattress and the thick ones are the structure. So they, they, they think about it and they weave these nests together like a human would, you know? So talk about brilliant, brilliant animals. They are. And I've heard they'll like use different leaves for umbrellas as well. Yeah, they're very yeah. selective with that. Yeah. So now they're cool. They're cool. All right. Two, um, two quick facts. I, 
Yes, I do want to mention uh, orcas and their conservation because they are currently data deficient by the IUCN, so they don't know how many there are. Uh, they are hard to study in the wild, some of the remote places. I mean, they're dispersed pretty much everywhere, but we do know that populations are definitely declining. Of course, the, our oceans are in crisis, and so we need to keep a close eye on them. And then, of course, there's certain populations that are definitely endangered, like the southern resident population off the coast of Washington State, yeah. and I believe the uh, the transient population as well. So, yeah, I mean, they we, we need to keep a close eye on their numbers uh, because they do need, you know, they're, they're the apex predator. And I think healthy orca populations are a sign of a healthy ocean. And uh, so, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, I just want to throw in one last quick fact. Uh, Corbett, did you see when the orangutan was fighting the tractor? This went no, viral a few I years ago. Not. Oh, wow. Yeah, so in 2013, there was a, a video taken of them bulldozing the rainforest in Indonesia, oh. and orangutan is actually out there beating on the tractor, beating it with sticks, trying to drive it oh. off. And it went oh. viral a few years ago as the sign of, as, as like a, a, a wow, look what's going on uh, to their habitat. Again, spotlight on palm oil, uh, orangutan, like. They're, they're the most chill Zen animal, but they're fighting for their lives. And there he goes with our heartstrings. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pull on a, a little heartstrings because there was actually a new study that came out with orcas just recently in the past week or two. And, of course, all my moms were texting me the memes about it because the study reported that uh, we're finding out that most males – will never leave their mothers. Mm -hmm. In fact, because of this, supermom orcas will actually stop having more offspring to look after her full-grown son. <laughs> Not her young son, mind you, her full-grown son. Uh, uh, she will share food with him. She will take care of him for his entire life. And this is a really interesting behavior because it – doesn't really provide a ton of benefit to the female, right? To stop having offspring. That's not how we're designed. We're designed to have as many offspring as possible, but these males are just so darn needy and the moms are catering to them. So uh, super interesting study. The researchers want to look more into it, of course, and see if this is found in other pods, right? Because as I mentioned, they have their own culture with different pods. But yes, it was um, males are much more likely to survive if they stick with their mom than if they go out on their own. Mm. Uh, but this, of course, can be hindering to the mom, but she seems to enjoy it. I love that. And I feel like an orca too. Like I loved living with my parents. I love my mm. mom. Hi, mm. mom. <laughs> Hi, Corbin's mom. I, I love, love you too. Easy days. Anyway, right. I don't still live with my parents, by the way. Okay. The winner. <laughs> <laughs> I love to just, make sure that's just, on the record. Yeah, for the just record. A, but there's nothing uh, wrong with You mean since, since last year, right? No, so. no, I swear. It's funny. My wife's always like, what would you do if you haven't met me? Still meeting your parents? I'm like, probably. <laughs> probably. Like, I loved it there. Like I had a basement that my animals yeah. were there. It was great. Yeah, okay. good cooking. Yeah. Oh, great cooking. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. Mom. Okay. So anyway, I have to say this was a tough one. But the winner for this round goes to Orca. 
Good job, Angie. Yes. The mom thing to took it home. Took it home. I know. I knew I knew it would. Yes. Part of my strategizing. All right. Angie, you get to go first on polar bear versus leopard seal. Ooh. Okay. Polar bear. Well, I uh this was originally one of Chris's picks. And so but I'm now picking it up from Chris. And although I argued against the polar bear, what did I what was who, oh, you it, lost uh, the flying fox. <laughs> the oh. fox didn't have much of a chance. I thought you were going to bring up the zebra. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that. I mean bats are so important, but that's mm-hmm. that's fine. It, it, I, it, it's all good because I think we <laughs> talked about uh, when. Uh, well, you talked about Chris, I believe, with the polar bear. That's the largest carnivore on land, uh, and so, and it's just obviously an icon for conservation. Mm. But some other facts that I think are really important that make this this huge, beautiful creature why it should stay out of the, the last round is their paws. Uh, mm. Polar bear paws are you don't want to get too close to one, but. Uh, but they are humongous. They can be as large as a dinner plate. Mm. So that's just uh, unfathomable, actually, if you wow. really think about it. Uh, and they also, because they're, of course, snow and ice creatures, they have uh, built-in uh, no-slip treads on the bottom side of their paw. And it's basically a whole bunch of uh, papillae that the paws are covered in to give them a little bit more grip plus the tufts of fur between their toes help them keep warm. So polar bear paws are just a symbol of hope and conservation. And so, yeah, that's my, my first fact. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. I feel like I'm arguing against myself. Uh, Leopard seal. So I'm going to use some of Angie's uh, tactics in our podcast against her. So uh, they make quite a bit of noise underwater. So here we go. That is a leopard seal underwater. That sounds like an alien. It does, doesn't it? That's what makes him so cool. When I saw it on the ocean, on the on the beach, pulled out, I was like, "Ooh!" I was so, (laughs) it was so amazing. So there you go. Leopard seals make some cool vocalizations under the water. That is really yeah. That's awesome. But um, speaking of water, because we're it's this is kind of a cool pairing because they're both marine mammals, right? Mm -hmm. So. Polar bears are just as comfortable in the water pretty much as they are on land, and they are amazing swimmers. In fact, they can swim for days. Mm. Uh, They swim at a speed of about six miles per hour, and I mean, it's a good thing they can swim as long and as well as they can with all the, the polar, uh, the polar ice melting. Uh, so, you know, it's, that's a sad story, but there, a female had, was tagged to swim, um, uh, 426 miles in a nine day stretch from the Buford sea North of Alaska. She lost 22% of her body weight during the process. And in another study, uh, there's records of a bear swimming for 12 days. They did stop and take some breaks on ice um, or things they could, but I mean, that is just heroic uh, efforts to swim from point A to point B all in search for food. 
Yeah, yeah. The leopard seal all the way from Antarctica to New Zealand. 3,000 miles. <laughs> it was good. That was a good swim. No, okay. That's that's pretty amazing. Okay, uh, leopard seal. It, I, I mentioned it uh, last time, and Angie just said, oh, I would never want to be, you know, we were talking about the leopard seal and be in the water with a leopard seal. Paul Nicklin. That's what I was thinking about. Yes. That that female came and was trying to feed him a penguin. She had caught a penguin for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, empathy seeing Paul was a little skinny said, you need this more than me. (laughs) And she's swimming around with this. She would look at me and be like, he's fine. (laughs) (laughs) He looks extra yummy. He's fine. Mm. He does not have a penguin. But she was teaching him how to hunt. So talk about, we talk about culture, intelligence. Here was this leopard seal seeing this poor skinny photographer in the water. And she was carrying a penguin that she had caught and was trying to give it to him. And she couldn't figure out why he wouldn't eat it. So yeah, that's there you that's go. A cr- incredible footage, and yeah, him yeah. recalling the story is is pretty cool as well. Uh, uh, but yes, he was scared. He was scared <laughs> when, <laughs> when this was going on. So it tells you a little bit how uh, powerful and awesome they are. Yeah. Uh, so, but talking uh, about intelligence and and uh, and what these creatures can do, the polar bear um, is willing to do what it takes to be a great mom. And so the mother will spend most of the Arctic winter uh, sealed up in her den with her cubs. And she usually will have two uh, per season. And because she's in her den with cubs that are, of course, nursing and getting milk from her, uh, mother polar bear will go months without food Mm. while she's making milk for them to grow. And she can just fast like amazingly she's not and she doesn't hibernate they're one of the only bear species that don't hibernate uh and she's just there feeding them and uh when she comes out of her den with the cubs well, when they're a little bit bigger and the weather starts to warm up the female polar bear will have lost up to 200 kilograms mm-hmm. of fat during this time so i mean that's just that's an incredible, an incredible adaptation to live uh, in the cold Arctic climate and be able to produce these, uh, these two cubs. Uh, and you know, the thing, the, you know, the other thing I need to just mention is how darn cute are those two cubs rolling around in the snow when they Mm -hmm. finally do make it out of the den. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's tough if you're a cub, I mean, only about anywhere from 30 to 70% of the cubs that she spent all that time, investing and nursing them and losing weight and all that about 30, you know, depending on the season, only 37, 30 to 70% make it into adulthood. All right. So last quick fact, last quick fact of the leopard seal. These are ancient animals that went from land into the oceans. We know they, they go back to the myocids 55 million years ago. It is thought leopard seals, uh, diverged from walruses about 1 million years ago. So pretty ancient. They found their niche in Antarctica. Angie's up in the Arctic. I'm at the other side of the pole, uh, the other side of the planet in the South Pole. And they carved out their niche and probably haven't changed much for a few hundred thousand years. Ooh, I like that though, Corbin. You're going to have to pick between the Arctic and the Antarctic. Who is this going to be? This is so hard. This is, I'm really torn. 
I'm really torn because I would love to see both in the wild. I, mm. I mean, at first glance, you want to pick polar bear because they're so iconic. Thank you. <laughs> they are iconic. <laughs> but yeah. then you have the leopard seal, which I know it's not as iconic, but it is uh, quite an efficient predator in the Antarctic. And it kind of fills that, that niche that the polar bears do up North, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think for this one, I, I'm going to go for the underdog. Let's see the leopard seal. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. I know. Cinderella story. I know. Oh. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm kicking I myself. A... I'm kicking myself in the foot for that. No, one. no. I mean, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is how it works. This is how I feel like I'm one of these teams fighting in this tournament. It's you know, it's like polar bears are so much more like magnificent looking, but it's like yeah. God, leopard seals. They need a shot, oh, was, and they're yeah, so it was cool. Amazing. They are okay. cool. They are cool. And I feel like we have the Cinderella story in the final four. So hippo, yeah. African elephant, orca, leopard seal. Let's go. We're gonna pick up the pace a little bit. Yes, we've made some big arguments with this. Hit us with a couple facts about hippos, Angie. I'll hit him with a couple facts of elephants, and we'll let him make his decision. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, right. Yeah, I forgot. I have my tortoises outside, so I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. That's it. <laughs> Serious. Hank is outside. So. Uh, oh, uh, Hank, uh, we gotta get Hank inside. Okay. Um, hippos. Extra fun hippo facts for the almost win. Is that where we're at? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not the win. It's to not the, the finals. Win. Okay. To the, yeah. finals. to the finals. Yeah. Extra fun hippo facts to get these bad boys and gals into the finals. Uh, the moms are the only mammal that make pink milk. Hmm. Yes, it is indeed pink. Very cool. Um, they can spray their poop, which is pretty awesome. Uh, they use this to mark territory, both the males and the females. And any keeper that's worked with a hippo knows that if they're if the rear end's facing you, you want to get out of the way. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we were just talking about marine mammals, uh, it's an interesting fact that hippos are actually distant, distant, distant relatives to whales, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. And hippos, they're not swimming. They're actually walking underwater. And the other last fun fact is there are over 50, 40 to 50 hippos living in Colombia, uh, oh, free that. and happy in the wild, <laughs> probably devastating the ecosystem that were fr- uh, from Pablo es- um, Escobar's zoo. And they've mm-hmm. gone rogue mm-hmm. and they've multiplied. And yes. Yeah, so and I think that was more than two. <laughs> Yeah, and just for the record, I said I love that. As a scientist, I should not love that because it's horrible. But, oh, my God, to have hippos. Oh, they're adorable. I know they're dangerous. Very controversial. Yeah, it's very controversial, but it 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 is pretty fascinating, right? Yeah, Yeah, no, hippos are. They're really cool. And I think coming to the Final Four makes sense. But now we got to push the true king of Africa, the African elephant. Uh, I'll just throw a bunch of facts like Angie did. Uh, eat up to 300 pounds a day 150 kilograms of food today that's four to seven percent of their body weight uh they their trunk has forty thousand muscles in it wow we only have 600 muscles in our entire body elephants forty thousand just in their trunk which can be up to seven feet long it can hold up to 12 liters of water elephants listen versus infrasound 
which we can't hear. So they have low, low hum vibrations that can travel far, far distances. They hear up they their legs. They can't hear underwater though. Just... Well, and though well, I'm sure the hippos hear them. And <laughs> yeah, the hippos definitely hear them. And the most amazing fact about elephants, Corbin, their closest relative is oh, a rodent-like thing. Yes. It looks like a rodent, but it's not. It's a rock hyrex. Yep. And the manatee mm. are due along. So their relatives are, 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 are a very tiny rodent-like creature in Africa. And then the manatees that are off Florida and then parts of uh, the Indian Ocean off Africa. Oh, you mean dugongs? Complete side story. I know we're running off of time and I haven't publicly said this. I got to touch one in Mozambique a few months no. ago. Oh, a that's wild, awesome. No, a wild one. I was filming with my GoPro yeah. and it came yeah. up and the uh, the tail fluke hit my hand. I have it on GoPro. It was amazing. Oh, awesome. A wow. wild well, and, gone. Uh, yes. And I want to talk to you about Mozambique because that's also, I, I have not been there and it's on my bucket list. So I can give it. you all the deets. Okay. okay we there okay, for okay. five okay. days. It was great. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'll cut that out. Awesome. I'll, cut the, I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Why would you cut it out? Oh, no. You <laughs> want to I didn't know. Yeah. People, leave it. people might want to go to hear about the okay. dugong or why not? <laughs> I didn't know. I'll I didn't know. You touched it. Okay. I'll, I'll okay. release it soon. I don't want to go to okay. jail, especially in Mozambique, yeah. for touching one, but uh, it, it touched you. Me. How about that? It, it touched, touched you. you. Yeah. It touched cool. you. All right. Yep. So there you go. So the dugong and Dang. the rock are the elephant's closest relatives. And that's what I was doing my research on back in Florida back in the day. Dang. You hit me with that last dugong yeah. fact and i'm yes. just thinking yeah, about but... i'm thinking about christina her name was christina by the way the locals named her right um, but the hippo um, is your favorite it's my husband's well, take away take away the favorite hippo. take away the favorite Let's okay be be impartial yeah. judge i don't want to be impartial but i have to say <laughs> i'm going i don't want to be i have to say this round goes to the hippo i love I them i just right. i i'm serious drum roll yeah Woo! baby yeah I love the hippo. I mean, I just, right. uh, I'm looking, I'm thinking of baby bubbles in my mind and the big bubbles. Right. I love Africa. you, bubbles. Thank all you, bubbles. Right, this all one's right, for all you. Right, all right. Here we go. The other side of the bracket, our Cinderella story. Can they keep it going? The leopard oh. seal versus the orca. Wow. Uh, I will go first since Angie did. The, again, the leopard seal, half their diet's krill. You wouldn't mm. think, but they are generalists. They they do eat, you know, fish and birds and other things. Uh, again, they are in Antarctica. They do sometimes come up to New Zealand, uh, Australia, I think a little bit, uh, Tasmania, and then Southern Africa, rarely. That's such a long mm. journey for them. So they, they oh. do travel very far. They are an animal that people don't know a lot of. So I think mm. if we, we, we push them on, that will really help them. And then one of the things that I really love about them is they have this thing called delayed implantation. Yeah. So the embryo, you would think once it's fertilized and you have a little baby growing, it actually can pause it and then have their pups when it's more most likely to survive. So their pregnancy can last up to 240 days. Uh, as long as the weather's good and nutrition's good and there's plenty of, of prey for it, then she'll she'll give birth. But if not, she can pause it. Like that's a superpower. 
Mm. Angie couldn't done that with her babies. <laughs> no, no, I could not. That uh, that is a superpower. Uh, that's 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 a good one, Chris. I like that one. Um, but I mean, we're going. You're going up against the orca and i went over all their different unique hunting styles and uh in the last session so orcas they don't have any natural predators mm-hmm. uh they're apex predators uh really important top of the food chain mm-hmm. so if they collapse the trickle down effect would not be good um and of course they do have humans uh uh that yeah unfortunately will slaughter them sometimes uh and the other fact that I think is really interesting, I touched on it a little bit, but I just want to give you the evidence is that when we think of ocean creatures that are tough and that you would not want to encounter in the wild, uh, for me, that might include the leopard seal and the orca and, of course, the great white. Uh, but in general, when an orca or a great white comes upon an orca or vice versa, the great white shark will head the other direction. So there was really cool uh, research uh, conducted out of the Monterey Bay Aquarium in California that followed a group of white sharks for a long time. And basically these sharks always fed in a certain area at the same time of year. But basically when one or two pods of orcas like showed up and started feeding in that area, those white sharks booked it out of there. Like they did not return for months. They said, get us out of here. We don't, we don't want that karate chop. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's really quite interesting. And then, and there is, um, evidence too, that, I mean, be, with this tactic of the karate chop, depending on which pods, uh, they are, that they will actually even target white sharks. That is about as tough as it gets. So orcas are just incredible at what they do. Super intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been so hard, <laughs> but if, when I'm thinking about it, you put an orca, you put a leopard seal in a room. Who is going to win? <laughs> it's going to be the orca. But then I just realized Angie can't like, well, she no, probably no, could no, talk to herself. Well, uh, but no. I was going to say she probably could fight with no. herself, but I, the winner's orca. I could, I could. I, one of my, not Chris, but one of my other mentors in grad school was like, you know, you could like talk to a wall. Like, that's, right. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great right. quality. Well, so, and I, you know, I think, I think it actually a great way to just close is, Chris and I are out. We have argued for yeah. our creatures. You know them all so well. Oh. I think my main man, Corbin Maxey. Oh my yeah. God. This oh, is yeah, on no. you. Oh, and no. Oh, all, no. Oh, all yep. the, for all the money, there's no money involved in this. Oh, well, there's know. no money? What? <laughs> How about I've this? done this for what? There's no. Know. Well, chance? you know, next year I was thinking we could get a, like a bracket with money going uh, oh, for like conservation. If people oh, wanted to actually I was like say play. for us, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it real exciting, Angie. Come on. <laughs> no, I like the fundraiser idea. No, I, I think yeah, I think I it's been too. a good bracket, and I think you've all right. got all the facts in front of you. Oh, no. you've got the orca versus the and hippo. And you've seen them both in the wild. You saw yes, you I saw have. the southern residents oh. and then you've seen hippos. Oh, so no. I mean they're both cool in their own right. Oh my god, I, this is so hard. This is so hard. Oh no! Like who? So should I think like who would win in a room or just like, like a cage who? match? It's we don't really have rules. So I, I, like I, I, I originally we didn't want it to be a cage match because we wanted to 
it to be yeah. more about cool physiology facts. Yeah. And then of course conservation too. So okay. that that would be yeah. one of my one of my one of my pushes. Well, yeah. and, and I would just say I don't know the orca. After I did those episodes, I just was like, yeah, they were like it was life changing. It was is, like you. The more you research them, but hippos are awesome. I mean, they're awesome. yeah. I this is very very hard, and my inner self is currently crushed. But when it comes down to the March Mammal Madness. The winner of all of this has to go to the orca. I mean, uh, I mean, truly, you have to. Yeah. When you look at an animal, you look at a top apex predator. We're still learning so much about mm-hmm. them that we don't even know. I love hippos, but I, even though they are my favorite animal, I think it just has to go to orca for this. So that's the winner of the March Mammal Yay! Madness. The orca. You mean, you mean Angie, Angie's is the, the winner. winner. I'm so sorry. You know, we should have rigged this with a naked mole rat. What a one people would have been like, what? what? <laughs> that would have gone viral. That would have gone what? viral. But no, I feel like people would have thought I would have picked the hippo, but no, I feel like when it comes to yeah. the facts that you guys delivered, and seeing a wild orca is I, just... It's, it's hard to them. argue against. It really yeah. is. I mean, elephants, I, I thought, yeah, they should have edged hippo out, but in my opinion. But again, that's my personal love. You love hippos. Yep. Uh, when I when we seeded this, I thought orca was going to be really hard to beat. Like it's just, I thought wolves they, would. I, I and thought I thought wolves did. I'm, wolves I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Corbin I feel better your, about elephants losing Not the hippo. Really but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are in my backyard, actually. We're here in Idaho. I mean, not yeah. technically, yeah. but. Backyard. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I thought wolves would maybe. Uh, but yeah. And then, honestly, I have to say, when I was filling out the slides and coming up with my, I came up with probably about 12 bullet points for each animal or so, mm-hmm. uh, like 18 actually for the hippo or 19. But wow. uh, I honestly, it was actually the naked mole rat that I was like, oh, I, it just was yep. such a reminder yep. in platypus, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of the mm-hmm. underdogs, just such a reminder of how, and then flying fox as well, all mm-hmm. the ones that maybe didn't go as far, but when you just look at their cool physiology or how important they are for the ecosystem and are unique, like with the, um, with the platypus. So this was so much fun, you guys. So much I, fun. I, I hope, it was. I, I, and I, and, you know, and to any of our listeners out there, if you did play along and you had a bracket filled out, if you want to send it to us at all creatures pod, dot com or of course through any of our social media platforms i'd love to see uh if anybody agreed with what what went what went down these past mm-hmm. two episodes uh and of course if you love the episode let us know uh if you think it'd be cool if we did the reptiles or the birds uh perhaps next time uh, that would be great to hear some feedback, especially positive feedback. And <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, we're, we're, I mean, Chris and I've had so much fun with this because we talk every yep. day and just yeah. like, I mean, for even it, this is for like our own enrichment, right? To keep mm-hmm. us going and mm-hmm. keep us doing the normal that we promise we will be back with a normal podcast and a normal interview here soon but for chris and i this has been super fun and always a great time yeah, with, with corbin, corbin. maxi uh just uh one of our best buddies and mm. and keeps it real and of course knows his stuff so yeah, uh, it's, it's always super fun so yeah, yeah. i just had a yeah. great time thanks I corbin thank, it was amazing I wanna, yeah i want to thank you guys so much and i want to thank you so much for doing the all creatures podcast i don't know if i've ever told you this but if i have to do a media appearance and i'm working with an animal that i'm not too familiar with when i'm on the plane guess what podcast i'm listening to 
all creatures podcast because you uh, guys are you. always filled with great stuff and i love it and i'm so happy i'm going to meet chris in person in a few weeks yeah, you're going to come meet the alligator so i am i am that is awesome so check that out and thank you so much for having me on the show and yeah if you I encourage any listeners if you like youtube check out my youtube channel which is just my name corbin maxi and we're also on all social platforms. So check us out. That'd be great. Yeah, the videos are incredible. I look forward to them every day. Chris, oh, or, thanks. Uh, Corbin's working his butt off and the animals are cool. I love the tortoise races and birthdays. <laughs> yeah, was... yeah. Your yeah, dad I'd... your dad was out there in oh a leprechaun gosh. outfit. Oh, yeah, he was, was so great. mad. Oh, he was so mad. <laughs> he was so mad. I had to cut out so much cussing out of that. I was like, Dad, this is a kid's channel. Oh, he was so, great. so mad. You have but to does, check it do... out. You do such a great job getting us um, interested in animals mm. and their behavior and their conservation. And so, yeah, so we appreciate all you're doing. And to our listeners out there, definitely follow Corbin Maxey on all of his platforms. You uh, you can thank us later because it's super yeah. fun. Content. And we'll link it all and, edu- and educational, sure. too. So it's yeah. a, these are, they're the type of video where, like, I just send it to all my friends. I'm like, check Aww. this one out. Check that one out. So. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so happy you like him. And I'm so happy I get to see Chris in person and Angie yes, forever exciting, in my yep. neck of the woods. Please come say hello. Absolutely. And everybody has to come to Florida once in a while, too. So oh, whether they yeah. like it or not, they end up at Disney <laughs> or one yeah. of the beaches. So, yeah, we would love to host you here as well. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, you guys. so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, Corbin. Bye bye.